Not yet. No. Okay, now you're on. There we go. <laughs> All right. Good to see each and every one of you guys out this morning. Welcome. Speaking of morning, wasn't it a beautiful morning? Yes. Isn't, isn't this just awesome? Yeah. Next two days is going to be fine. The Lord's blessed us with a great day. You guys, the, the worship team, done a great job up here this morning. Thank Are you. Are you guys ready for the Word of God? Yes. We praised Him in song. We're going to pray. And we're going to take a look at this Word. It's great to see some folks back that hadn't been back from Miss Alice. Welcome back. It's good to see you, Miss Alice. Oh, you talk about a warrior. Miss Alice right here is a warrior. It's great to see you. <laughs> I'm just saying it's good to see you. It's good to see you. And uh, uh, Ron, if you want to come up, does anybody else besides Jamie have a birthday today or this week? How do I know that? You tried to hide it from me, didn't you? <laughs> but your dad said, Jamie, tell you that it was his birthday. No, you kind of let that slip by. But uh, anybody else have a birthday? Stand up and look. Okay, well, we'll sing to him, too. Uh, anybody else? All right, well, especially for Jamie, let's, let's go. And for the, and for the president. Uh, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Every day of the year, may you feel Jesus dear. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. And the best year you've ever had. Amen. 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 Uh, happy birthday. And uh, we've got our Berean chapters. And remember, next week is Praise and Pantry Sunday, to where after services we will have the pantry stuff in the back. So invite a friend. This is a great way to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them is to say, hey, won't you come? We've got a pantry. We've got some food that you can take home afterwards. And it's a great way to bring folks in and to, and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. So as uh, we get ready for today's lesson, shall we go to our Father in prayer? I'll give you a moment to clear your thoughts and minds and to make, make yourself ready to receive the word. And then I'll close this out and we'll get into it. Father, we, we gathered here together this day on the first day of the week, on the, on the day that you've asked us to come and to worship and to, to fellowship with you and to partake of the Lord's Supper with you. And, and, and Father, we just praise you for who you are. We pray that today your Holy Spirit would be within us, that it would help us to realize the power that is in your word and and though this very scene that we're going to talk about happened roughly 2,000 years ago, oh, it's just as powerful 
and as meaningful for us today as it was then. And you knew then that we would be talking about it today. And so, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will allow us to understand and apply it to our heart and to, to give us confidence in who and what you are as you seek us, Father, to be yours. And we pray that our life also will change because of it. And one at a time will change the world. So we thank you and we praise you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. The world we live in. And these times, we talked a little bit about it last week, but we've never seen nothing like this, have we? And just the unabashed, unashamed riots, the, the things that's going on. We, how, how do we change things? How, how does change affect? Well, it starts first with us, doesn't it? So I want to talk about that today. I, I'll tell you, and I'll be honest, I struggled all week. With, with what to give a lesson on. Because last week we talked about some really out there things with, with what was going on. And, and my family was like, we need a story this week. We, we, we need a, a, a story from the Bible. So I, I've worked all week and I was looking at Jacob and I was looking at Joseph and I've, I've looked everywhere. And, and I sat down and wrote four or five pages of one or the other and it just wasn't clicking. But then all of a sudden, I turned it just over to the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is late, like yesterday. And it's like, Lord, it's tomorrow. So I'm just trusting in you to, to start guiding this thing quickly. And all of a sudden, he led me to Zacchaeus. And so that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit. How we're going to, to turn this thing around. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ and his word is the only way that we're going to turn everything back around. Uh, so if you would, but we're going to start in Luke 18. So if you want to turn there with me, we're, it, today I told uh, Paula back there, I said, you know what, you're lucky. This is probably the shortest amount of slides I've ever had for a lesson because there's only three, that intro, and then we got... The one that we're going to now and one more, and that's it. That's all we got is we're going to hone in right here on Luke 18 and Luke 19 in the Word of God. And here in, in Luke 18, we're setting the stage for the mission statement of Jesus. Jesus has a mission statement. And that mission statement is going to be in a moment in verse 10 of Luke 19 when he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's the mission statement. But, but we're going to lead into that. We like to take Sunday drives. And in Luke 18, uh, he's a very busy man. He's going through, getting ready to go through Jericho to Jerusalem and go to the cross. And as he's going there, uh, he knows his time on earth is short. He's working to present himself to people as the Messiah and to seek and to save as many as he can. And so he... He wants to speak a parable to these people. You know, here's, here's step one on how we're going to change things. And it comes in Luke chapter 18 in a parable that he taught them. Because things were going on in their world that concerned them just like it is now. They were under Roman rule. There was a lot of stuff going on. And Jesus said this to those who were concerned about the times that they were living in. And he said, men ought always to pray and to not lose heart. 
Now there's a good starting point. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. I like that word not lose heart because I honed in on it a little bit. And it says that that word means that don't let outward situations, the outward negativity, the outward events, don't let outward things affect who you are on the inside and cause your inside heart and mind to begin to rot away with fear, with panic, with the different things. Don't allow outside circumstances to change who you really are. And that's what this word means. Don't lose heart. How do you not lose heart when you see everything around you? You pray. Pray always to the Father and don't lose heart. And he gives us an example of what can happen then with that. He goes on with it. He says, don't let yourself be eroded by what's going on. Oh, one day we might get into a lesson about this, but here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to dissolve the things that are God, his society, his establishments, the things that are right, and to try to re-coagulate it into something that is not of God, that is evil. So dissolve and coagulate is the mission statement of the enemy. Jesus' mission statement is to seek and to say that which is lost and that we ought to pray and not let ourselves be dissolved and eroded from the inside and re-coagulated into something else that we're not intended to be. So don't lose heart, he said. It behooves you to pray always, to prayers casted up in faith will strengthen your heart and mind. And then he gives the example. He says, here, take this widow lady who was in this town. She went to the judge and she was telling him over and over again about the injustice that was being done to her. She had an accuser that was out there. You know what? You and I have the same enemy. The accuser. That's another word for our enemy. He is always standing before the throne of God trying to accuse us. You remember he did that back in Job, didn't he? It says that God called a, a scenario together up there in the heavenly realm. And it says also the devil and his was there too. And he started saying, look, at, have you seen Job? You know how he follows after me. And he tried to accuse him and say that you've protected him too much. You've allowed him to lean on you. Why wouldn't he love you? So we have an accuser, an enemy. This, this is setting the stage for us that we have an enemy. She had an enemy. And he was always falsely accusing her with some things. And so she's going to the judge to say, will you not do something about the situation? The judge is described as somebody in our story, in the parable that Jesus is telling, as someone who doesn't respect God and he doesn't respect other men. In other words, he's pretty self-centered. He only wants to do what he wants to do. And, but it says that because she kept insisting with him over and over and over again that he do something about it, that the judge steps back for a moment. He goes, you know what? Blah, blah, blah. This woman is nagging. She's talking. <laughs> She's always after me. I can't get her out of my hair. 
So, you know what? And here's his thoughts. I don't respect God, and I don't respect men, so I'm not doing it because it's the right thing to do or because I'm trying to please somebody. But I'm tired of this. I'm tired of her nagging me, so I am going to go ahead and take care of the situation so that I can get rid of her and out of my hair. So Jesus says that if this unrighteous judge would do that, what do you think about God the Father who is righteous, who is worthy of things, that if we constantly, the scenario is if we constantly pray to God about what's happening and what our desires are, the way she went to him about the things that was going on in life, that will God not answer his faithful? Will God not respond to the prayers of the elect the way he did, is not God on a so much higher plane than the judge who didn't care about God or other people? So you have a father that cares about you. So if you pray always, instead of sitting back and watching what's going on and let it affect you inside negatively, if you bring those prayers and petitions to God, he will react just like this judge did. Because he is held to a higher standard because he's God. So he will react to those things. He says, did you hear what he said? And will not God respond in such a greater way than that? And then in verse 7, your elect who cry out day and night, even if he bears long. In other words, God doesn't always answer today. Sometimes it takes a little while. Sometimes it goes on longer than what we thought. But in the end, it says God is going to answer to those that are his elect. You ought to pray continually and not lose heart and respond in a positive way. Now, isn't that what God asked for in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14? I know a lot of you know this scripture. It says, if my people who are called by my name... We're called by his name, right, Christians? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal the land. That's what needs to happen. This is where we are at. There's, there's some problems and the cure is right here in that one scripture. He says, first of all, we need to humble us ourselves. There's a lot of folks that's out there doing some things that are not humbling themselves before God. Humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, turn away from the wickedness of your ways. And when you do, I will answer from heaven and I will save the nation and I will forgive them and heal the land. Then that's the root of the problem and the, the cure for it. First Timothy, in case you like to go to New Testament type things, in First Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 4, Paul writes to him and he says, Therefore, I'm going to first of all exhort you to pray, to do supplications, and give thanks for all men, but especially for kings and those who are in authority. Why? Why would you want to continually pray for those who are in authority over us? And he says this, because who us desiring of God 
God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then if you pray continually and you wear him out, God says that then I will respond that you can have a peaceable and quiet life. Isn't that what we really want to lead? Is a life that is peaceable and quiet and not chaotic like what we're seeing? These are some of the answers to those things. And the truth is, he, said, he goes on to tell him that this man, Jesus Christ, came down as God from heaven into the form of a man and came down to provide a mediator between God and man so that we can be forgiven and lead a quiet and peaceful life when we follow him. So then, as we can, Jesus continues to develop the story, turn the page with me and go over to Luke chapter 19 if you're following along. Luke chapter 19. There's a lovely story about a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. How many people sung that song in, in like Bible school and class as you're growing up? Yeah. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in that sycamore tree as Savior for to see. That, that's, that's what we want to talk about today. Zacchaeus. If you would, I want you to breathe in right now the words of the Holy Spirit of God of the true story that happened in the life of Jesus right now. Take in this reading as we read it, and then we're going to come back and examine it. Just listen to this marvelous tale. Then Jesus, he entered and passed through Jericho. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't because of the crowd. For he was short of stature. So he ran ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all began to complain and saying, oh, he's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, look, Lord. I give half of my goods now to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Man, can you just... Feel that. I want to repeat that in. Today, this day, salvation has come to your house. And I came to seek and to save that which was lost. In verse 1, let's go on back up there. Let's examine this wonderful story, if you will. In verse 1, it says that Jesus was entering there and passing through Jericho. Now, Jericho. That was the old city, remember, that Joshua and them surrounded it and the walls fell and all that. Well, this is a rebuilt city. 
It was beautiful back in that time. It was garden. The, the name Jericho actually means like the place of perfume. It, it had gardens and flowers. It, the smell would waft through the air. It was a beautiful place. It was at a crossroads. There was three sections that went from there to the different places. And like one went to Israel and one to Caesarea and, and another one over to another area. And it was a beautiful town. A, a central hub everything was going on it was modern it was hustling it was bustling and it had a whole bunch of traffic of goods and that caused there to be a lot of tax collectors because you had people coming in and going out in every which way and they set up tax collecting stations and so now we get a, a glimpse now of this, of this man, you know, Jesus, he's been performing miracles in the land. There's a man named Zacchaeus who hears a buzz. And who is this? There's a huge crowd of people, a throng that's moving through. There's excitement in the air. There's a buzz going on. It's Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He's getting ready to pass through here tell you, the throng of people was not only because Jesus had done some miracles and he had healed some folks, but you know what? It was only about two weeks before this that he had brought to life Lazarus. Everybody was buzzing about he had brought a man who had been dead for a while back to life, and the word was, could this be the Messiah? Could this be him? Who else could do something like this? So the throng of the crowd was around him, and now a word comes to this Zacchaeus, this tax collector, that Jesus is coming through the area. And in verse 2, we're introduced to our POI, our person of interest for today. And behold, it says, behold, look, so Jesus is bringing out behold. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was rich because his occupation was of a tax collector. And Jericho was that thriving commerce city that was in there. And the crossroad for all of it. And he, he was very rich. It makes that point. You know why? He wasn't just a tax collector. Look back up there again at verse 2. He was the chief tax collector. It's like, you know, you have your little hubs to the middle and into the hierarchy of it. It's almost like a little mafia system, this Roman taxation system was. And this guy was like the guy that said up at the top. And that was that was Zacchaeus. He, he's at the top. He was very rich because he controlled his underlings and, and he was surrounded himself with, with some people who were probably not the best people that are around. And he's at the top of this pyramid's a scheme that was very corrupt and that sometimes used force and other ways to get the people to give what he thought that they should. So the citizens of the area couldn't stand him. And you can understand why, because he's supposed to be Jewish, but to get a tax, to be a tax collector and to have that office, you have to kind of sell yourself to the Romans. You have to purchase it from them. And what you're doing is you're saying, I am going to tax my people, the Jews, and I am going to take their money and give it to Rome, our enemy. You talk about hatred. 
They couldn't stand a guy like that, but he had worked his way all the way up to the top as the chief. So, I mean, they despised this man. They could not stand him. He is a part of those, you know, the Gospels often talk about a group of people called tax collectors and sinners. That was the riffraff that nobody wanted to hang around with because that would make them unclean. That was the prostitutes and the tax collectors. That's who they grouped into that kind of an area. Ooh, we can't have nothing to do with them. They wouldn't even allow him to go in and worship in the house of God. They said that would make us unclean and you can't go there. We, we despise who you are. Not only that, Zacchaeus had let his family down too. Not only, you know, in the Jewish tradition, family meant everything and your reputation and your name. Well, speaking of names, they named him Zacchaeus. You know what Zacchaeus means? It means to be righteous, to be pure, <laughs> to be all that is good. That's what the name Zacchaeus meant. So not only had he been a traitor to his nation and despised by everyone, but now for his family, they named him pure and holy and good, and he was everything but. Now he was impure, he was unrighteous, he was unholy with what he had chosen to do as a profession. And so he not only was hated by them, but he had let his family down. There was all kinds of things going on in the life of this man who was named Zacchaeus. But you know what? There had been six tax collectors that Jesus has run across up to now, and only two of them had names. The first one was Levi, who later became Matthew and wrote the gospel, which is after his name. The second one is here with Zacchaeus. And it, we don't know why from the word of God, but those who were historians of that time, the early church, after the gospels were given, as the church was growing, people were historians from that time in the first century. And there was one called Clement of Alexandria, who was a historian who wrote things. And you've probably heard of Josephus too and all of those, but Clement wrote, that Zacchaeus, after his conversion, went on to be a pastor in Caesarea, and that after him, the man who took his place was actually Cornelius the centurion of Acts chapter 10, that Peter went to his house from Joppa. So the reason I think that there's a name here is what those who are scholars think is because they wanted you to see the great change in life that this man made. Going from the dregs of society to being the pastor of the church. And that's why they put his name there so that you could know that and understand and see the change that, of the life that he made. So uh, it doesn't matter then what we are reading here today. What the Lord is trying to say to us is this. It doesn't matter what your background was. It doesn't matter what your job was. It doesn't matter what you've done in life. It doesn't matter what the people of the city think about you. It doesn't matter what that you let your family down in some way. All of those things don't matter. What matters is, is when Jesus presents himself to you, what do you do after that? That is the thing that matters in life. Nothing else 
matters other than that. And then, so Zacchaeus says he sought to see who this Jesus was. But actually, there was a problem in him getting to see this Jesus. Two problems, really. There was a huge crowd of a lot of people, tall people, and he was short. <laughs> you know, my mom, bless her heart, she was five foot one. And when that song, Short People Got No, you know, remember that song? She hated that song. I bet Zacchaeus would too. But Zacchaeus, he was short in stature. And there was a bunch of people around the Lord. It was a throng. And he wanted to see him, but he couldn't see him. So he knew the way that they were walking, and he knew the route. And he said, there's a tree over there that I can climb up into that tree and I can get up high enough that I can see who he is. Now I want there's a great issue that's brought up there. If you've ever thought that you wanted to see Jesus, to see who he is, if you've ever wanted to test those waters out, there's always going to be obstacles in your way. It is the nature of us and it is the nature of our enemy to provide obstacles for you getting to see who Jesus is. We're going to have excuses. There's going to be problems. But I'm going to encourage you today to become a Zacchaeus. To not just say, oh, man, it's too early to get up. Oh, man, I've done this all week. No. Overcome the excuses and overcome the obstacles and say, I am going to see Jesus no matter what it takes. And I'm going to run over here and get ahead of him and I'm going to climb that tree. Because obstacles and excuses are always going to be in your way. I guarantee it. You have got to decide that I want to see him and I am going to meet him and nothing is going to stand in my way and keep me from doing that. It's too easy just to turn away from all of that. So he knew the root and he knew that sycamore tree and I want to tell you something else about our, our Lord God, how great he is. The Lord knew probably several decades ago that, that Jesus was going to be walking that route right there. And that there was going to be a short man named Zacchaeus who was going to need a tree. And so the Lord planted that tree right there several decades ago so that it would be there ready for you. The Lord is always going to provide a way for you if you are seeking him. He provided the tree that Zacchaeus climbed. He is always going to provide a way for you. That is his the way he operates. So, so now Zacchaeus, he climbs up that tree and he's waiting. And here comes Jesus and the throng of people that's all around him. And I'm sure that Zacchaeus did not think that Jesus was going to look up there in that tree and call him out, did he? He's probably thinking, all I want to do, I don't want to be around the people either because they hate me. They don't want anything to do with me. I just want to get a glimpse to see who this guy is. And so he's up in there, and I'm sure that what he, what he would think that the Lord could be thinking was this. Oh boy, there's that tax collector up in the tree. I sure hope that he doesn't say anything to me. 
as I pass by, so that I got to talk to him. You know, that is not the character of our Lord, is it? Here's the character of the Lord that we serve. Zacchaeus climbed that tree to seek his face, and the Lord doesn't turn anyone away when they seek him. It says that the Lord, as he's walking by, he stops, and he looks up in that tree. He did. And he made eye contact. Do you know how many people try to make eye contact with the tax collector? Not too many, do they? You start to see him, and you're like, ooh, I'm, I'm looking over here, and I'm going the other way. Nobody, he might be asking me for money in taxes. <laughs> people avoided him. Nobody looked and made eye contact with him. Jesus stops and makes eye contact with him, and I'm sure it froze him right there. Not only that, they've never met. He's trying to see who he is, so they've never met. But Jesus not only makes eye contact with him, but he speaks to him, doesn't he? And what's he say? What's his word? Zacchaeus. He knew his name. Yeah. He knew who he was before they had ever been introduced. You know, I find the same thing. Don't you remember when, when Jesus was coming on the scene and choosing his disciples and Philip ran and got his buddy Nathaniel who was sitting underneath the fig tree and he said, we have found the one that's the Messiah, the one from God. He's, he's coming from uh, over here and he goes, can anything good come from there? No, nothing good has ever come from there. He said, come and see. And whenever Nathaniel came over there and he said, uh, nothing good ever comes from Nazareth. And he says, as he's walking, Jesus goes, you're Nathaniel. And boy, you're, you're one of our sons in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel looks at him and says, how'd you know that? How'd you know who I was? And he says, I do. I knew who you was while you were sitting under the fig tree and wasn't even around here. I saw you. The Lord knows who you are. He knows who everyone is. And the Lord looks up and he calls him by name and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry down out of that tree. Now I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> If that was me up in the tree and I'd never met Jesus and he calls me by my name, he's not got to finish that sentence with hurry down out of that tree because I'd have probably fell <laughs> and they'd have been going thump, thump, thud and they'd been said, that's going to leave a mark. Go check him and see if something's broke because that would have just frozen me, you know, astounding. Jesus made eye contact with the tax collector. He calls him by name. And not only does he call him by name, he says, hurry down out of that tree because today I'm going to stay at your house. Can you imagine that? Everybody in the group began to grumble, didn't they? You know why? Because of that word stay. Not only did Jesus say, I want to meet you. Not only did he make eye contact and talk to him, but he said, I'm going to stay at your house. And that word for stay, it's only used like twice in the New Testament. But that word for stay is the word that's used like those of you that have horses. Or you have animals back then that they worked. The mules or the donkeys or the different things. Whenever you've gotten done with their work, what do you do? 
You take that stuff off of them. You take the saddle, you take the plow, the yoke, the blanket. You take the stuff off and you put them up for the night. You feed them and you let them rest for the night, right? That's what this word means. This word means that Jesus is saying, tonight when I'm done with this work that we're doing, I'm going to stay at your house. I'm going to take off my garments and my shoes. And I'm going to rest with you. And, and I'm going to sup with you. And I'm going to have fellowship with you. No one in that crowd would have dared to have done that. They despised that man. They could not stand him. He was the slime pit. And all the people that associated with him were because no one else would. So they clung together. And I am sure that in that crowd there was a lot of people who was wondering if Jesus was the Messiah. That would have burst their bubble. Because they would have said, because you've seen it with some of the other Pharisees at times, and they would have said, if he was really the Messiah and really knew who this guy was, he wouldn't be saying that. So there's no way that he could be who they are claiming that he is. So there's maybe some folks in that audience that he turned away, but you know what? They probably weren't seeking his face in reality anyway. But here was one person out of a whole crowd who was actually seeking to see who Jesus was. And Jesus said, hurry down because I'm going to spend the night at your house. Now, as he's hurrying down out of that tree, it says that all the people are going to be grumbling. The reaction of the crowd is astounding. Didn't, wouldn't you think that when he says, hey, I want to come and stay with you. I want to turn your life around. Don't you think that the people should have said, wow, that's awesome. Did you see the grace of our Lord? Did you see how good he is and he accepts everything? It's not what we read, is it? It says that they complained. The word there for complained is a word that is an, what they call an omnipoetic word, which means it sounds just exactly what it is. The word is diagonguzo. So in other words, they, everybody was grumbling, saying diagonguzo, diagonguzo. It sounds like a grumbling. They were complaining and grumbling about what was going on. But I want you to see the change in a life because that's the whole moral of this story. He comes down out of the tree. He, he knows who he is and he knows that his, he hasn't fulfilled his name that he was named. He hasn't fulfilled the ideals of society. Everybody hates him, but he's going to go ahead and it says what he stood before Jesus. Here's a short man who is standing tall right now. And he's, that's, that's kind of what it's pointing out here. He stands tall before the Lord, and he begins to say something to the Lord as he, as he goes on here. And he says this, Lord, look at verse 8 as he stood there. He said, look, Lord, behold. Lord, I want to tell you something right now. You called me down out of that tree and you've accepted me for who I am and you have just changed my life. Look, Lord, I'm going to give half of everything that I've collected over my life back to the poor. I'm going to, if I've taken anything from anyone, 
by false accusation or by force, I'm going to restore it fourfold, fourfold. And I think that he probably did use some strong arm tactics. We saw that in the news, and that's part of what's going on in our society today. Too much of a strong arm tactic, wasn't it? There was some violence involved. How do you change that? You change it when you seek Jesus and he calls you and invites you in and says, I want to stay in your house. Because this man, how do I know that he was probably involved in that kind of a situation? Because he says, if I have done it falsely, I will restore fourfold. You go back to Exodus chapter 22 in the law. It said in verse 1 and 2 that if a person has stolen or extorted or took things from another person by force and coercion, that you will restore to that person not just what you took, but fourfold. So when this man stands before his Lord who says, I accept you the way you are, he says, Lord, here's the things that I have done in my life, but I give them all back to you. I don't accept them anymore. And I am restoring fourfold. I, I am changing my life as a violent person, as a greedy person. And I am giving it back to you because you have accepted me. Then he goes from how long? Here's a question. How long does it take a person to change their life? Because a lot of times these folks that, that put you through these programs, they, they tell you it takes a long time. And you got to work on it. We're going to take it one step at a time. But I want to tell you something. The word of God says here that at the moment that you accept Jesus and his invitation to come into your house, at that moment, you can change who you are. And you know what? Zacchaeus now will become one of the greatest witnesses for Christ. And you know why? Because of the changed life that the word of God and that Jesus Christ had on him. What is the greatest witness as ambassadors for Christ can you give to the world? It's a changed life. To change who you are. Because if you say you found Christ, but you don't change who you are, you're still going out strong-arming everyone and extorting everyone, they're going to laugh. But when you really accept Christ and you realize how much he loved you and forgave you of everything, then now your life immediately changes. You now become the greatest witness in the world of what Christ can do for a life. You know, want to know how we change society? We fulfill the Great Commission. The commission of Jesus was to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. Even a man like Zacchaeus. Our commission is go ye into all the world. Teach this gospel and this good news of Christ and what he can do for everyone, even a Zacchaeus. And when you do, then you teach them, you, you teach them the gospel. They believe, they accept the invitation, they are baptized into Christ. And he says, then you continue to teach them all things that I have taught you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And that changed life was you learn how you're supposed to be becomes the greatest witness. And it's the thing that turns this world around. And don't let anyone separate you from that. Because I always tell you, you see, with Zacchaeus, it didn't matter what he'd done, what his family had thought, and what the people thought. Because I always try to teach you that the only person you're responsible for is you. You can't be responsible for the crowd or anyone else, what they say, what they think, what they're going to do. So don't let that bother you. You're only responsible for you. How are you going to react then today to the invitation of Jesus? If you're up in the tree and you're truly seeking him, his advice is hurry down. Come, because I want to be in your house tonight. Amen. Let's pray. And Father, we, we are just astounded by the grace found in your word. And Father, if there are those here today that are like Zacchaeus and they've kind of been up the tree, they've, they've heard, they've, they've heard who you are and what they could be, but they're up in the tree still. We pray, Father, that right now that you would look them in the eye and make eye contact. That you would call their name into their heart. Open up that heart and allow them to receive that invitation, Lord, in the greatest way that the world will know that they have received you is when you come down and say, Lord, I confess it all to you. And it's yours. And I'm a changed person. And you go on to lead a great life. And like history bore out, he became a, 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 a pastor and gave his life to Christ. And what a great witness that is. Father, help us to come down out of our tree. To accept your invitation to stay and to rest with us. And to make us who you want us to be. And may we follow you wherever you go and lead us in Jesus' name. That's all right with me. I was caught up in the message.